Hey, everybody. This is Bevan with a prequel to the show. I love a prequel. The way Anchor does uh, podcasts makes it really easy to remember something and pop it into the episode. But I wanted to just do this as a prequel because it occurred to me next week is Thanksgiving. And um, that's a big eating holiday here in the US. And so I just wanted to give some of my quick and dirty body positive tips for um, any kind of family gathering, honestly, that surrounds food, um, especially if you're in eating disorder recovery, if you're a person who's in recovery from diet culture in any way, which means you love your body in spite of whatever it looks like not conforming to um, the sort of perfection uh, our beauty standards want us to believe that we need to conform to, whatever. If you're in recovery from those ideas and your family is not, which is, I think, probably the case for most people, that might make family gatherings hard for you. And so here are my favorite tips for just kind of surviving the holiday table. Number one, I firmly believe that my body is nobody else's business but my own. So if somebody makes a comment about my body, I usually respond with, well, I think all bodies are good bodies. Or, well, I think my body looks great at any size. So I'm sorry that you don't feel that way. Uh, it's something that's like kind, but not necessarily overly antagonistic. Um, and usually just saying something as matter of fact as I believe that all bodies are good bodies uh, kind of shuts people up because they don't really want to get into it. But some people are really, they really cling to diet culture and they really need to believe what they believe about bodies. And um, you can just politely say like, I don't want to discuss my body. I don't want to discuss uh, your diet. Like if somebody brings up their diet or keeps talking about like, oh, I'm being so bad. You can also say, oh, well, I don't think that food uh, has a value. I think that food is just food. I wish you could just enjoy your food and not have to put a value on it. Just being, for me, what works really well is just being really droll really dry and just really straightforward about what I believe. And I think part of that, like the, why that's so effective for me personally as Bevan is because I'm very convicted in those beliefs. So if you're like newly into this idea that you could like your body, it's a little harder to have those convictions, but um, just being straightforward about what you're trying to do with your mental health um, and why your mental health is more important than diets um, often gets people off your back about talking about your body or talking about food. Um, you can also just politely ask people to change the subject because people hate awkward conversations more than, um, I think they hate, uh, like the idea that they might gain weight. You know what I mean? I mean, no, actually people really hate the idea of gaining weight. And in fact, some kids, uh, are more afraid of getting fat than of dying. That's like an actual statistic about 10 year olds. It's pretty scary, right? But basically like people will do anything to avoid an awkward conversation. So if you make it awkward that you don't wanna talk about that stuff, uh, it often is the best antidote to dealing with it. I also like to have things on hand that will make my life easier and my mental health better. Uh, I'm a big believer in, hey, I'm gonna go take a walk and just leave and go take the walk I need either to breathe or um, to, I have some like bookmarks on my phone of like body positive articles that I can read or um, things that kind of inspire me to like stay in what I have chosen to be my frame of mind rather than like the diet culture land of my relatives. Cause I have some relatives who still talk about their diets and their steps ugh, and all of that kind of stuff where I just don't want to hear about it. Right. Um, but I will give uh, props to many of my relatives who are chilled about that, at least around me. Um, but you can do that. You can also like go into a bathroom. I have literally gone into a bathroom and read um, my Al-Anon literature. Um, 
So if you I'd like, I, I'll just like have a little book of things that like help me restore my sanity amongst people who do not have that sanity. Um, and so just like thinking ahead, being prepared with the things you need. Um, also, um, maybe having like a code word, uh, or, uh, something you can do with a, a, a friend or an ally or a partner who's there with you, um, so that you can kind of have a safe escape. I also, um, sometimes like to make things a game. Uh, and so if you want to make it a game, like if anybody insults you about your body, uh, you get points for it. I don't know. Like figuring out a way to like make it fun for you <laughs> around people like that. Cause like the most important thing about holiday gatherings with uh, difficult relatives is just being able to stay in your sanity and your right mind um, and do what you can do for yourself so that you can glow up um, and stay uh, on your game and in your success mindset about whatever success is for you around loving your body or just surviving uh, food centered gatherings when you have like issues with food or whatever. So anyway, this is just me. Uh, Bevan from the future, Bevan from the past, wishing you in the future ease this holiday season when it comes to stuff like that. And if you have any specific questions or anything about um, dealing with like relatives, body positivity, and all of that, I'm always open for questions. Of course, my Patreon members get put to the top of the question queue. But if you have a question, no matter who you are, email me, Bevan's Party at gmail.com. That's B like boss, E V I N S party, P-A-R-T-Y, at Gmail. Um, and also just shouting out Anna from Sweden, Maxine from Toronto, Elizabeth from Georgia, M. Baker from Tennessee, and April, Tamale, and Lindley, who didn't have a, a, an address on their thing, for being my new Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for joining the party. I'm really excited to have you along, and thank you for your support. Now here's the show. Hey everybody, it's Bevan. Welcome to Bevan, a femme over 40 and her friends podcast. This is me, your host, Bevan. I've said my name three times. It's time to start the show. Today's episode is going to be a little shorter than usual. I just wanted to kind of put an addendum on my gig economy podcast from last week. Um, just FYI, also, if you hear snorting uh, during this episode, it's because my cat Biscuit Reynolds has chosen to come very close to the microphone. Um, anyway, I wanted to like just bookend my gig economy podcast from last week with some of my favorite stories from uh, working as a Lyft driver. Uh, as I sort of outlined in that previous episode, I was driving Lyft about 40 to 60 hours a week uh, for much of the last uh, seven months I was living in Los Angeles and, uh, driving about a thousand LA miles a week, uh, which is a lot of driving many, many rides. I did about a hundred rides a week. Um, and I have a lot of stories to tell a lot of boring too, by the way, I think, um, I had some trepidation going into driving for a ride share simply because I was, um, a little bit nervous about strangers getting into my car. I mean, think about it. 15 years ago, if, if you, were to just hop into some late model sedan with a stranger driving that it wouldn't have felt that comfortable. And like, I honestly, like, I think it's almost for me harder as a driver than as a passenger, because as a passenger, at least like the drivers have been background checked and um, all of that stuff. My Lyft background check actually took four weeks. So it was a really long time uh, that they went through to like, make sure that I wasn't, um, I don't know, someone to be wary of. My Uber background check when they did that, and they did it twice, 
only took about a week. So I just want to give you that uh, context when you're picking uh, which rides share service to use. Also, a lot of people ask me which one is better. Honestly, I've heard recently that Uber pays better. So since they ousted that terrible CEO of theirs, um, I think they really have gone, gone a long way to try to make the driving experience better for their drivers. Um, and as someone who's worked for Lyft, I can tell you, I don't think they care that much about the people who are working for them. Oh, I said it. I still think it's real. But you can listen to that last episode that I did to listen to more about what I think about those companies. I want to just talk about the human connections. Without a doubt, my favorite part of Lyft driving was the human connection. Um, I'm good at picking up social cues and figuring out if people want to talk to me or not. Um, my desire to talk to other people definitely um, hinged a lot on like my own self-care and um, you know how I was feeling if I had taken the time to meditate uh, if I had taken the time uh, to work out recently, like that always changes my mood and makes me more available for people. And so I um, definitely like brought myself into those circumstances. But in general, since it's customer service, I was just kind of turning it on anyway, just to give people a good experience in my car. I wanted them to feel comfortable. And, um, and I also really do like to chat with people. Um, even just today, earlier this morning, like I uh, chatted someone up in a coffee line at a little coffee shop in the tiny town that I live next to. Um, and I felt really proud of myself for like being the kind of person that meets somebody at a coffee shop. You know what I mean? Just like a random stranger. Uh, I'm really working on developing that um, as a characteristic of mine. I grew up um, as an only child and we moved 13 times by the time I was 13. So I changed schools a lot and it was really hard for me to make friends and that sort of, and I would like read books on the, um, out on the, on the recess tarmac or whatever, uh, on the playground instead of playing. Cause like I was super self-conscious about my body. I was a fat kid. Um, and so it was just easier to read a book than it was to try to be friends with people who might turn on me and bully me and pick on me because that happened a lot. So from a kid who was bullied and a kid who was shy, um, to an adult, it is not, I don't feel the safest around strangers, but I'm working on it. Um, and I actually like got, it got a lot easier for me as a Lyft driver, just because like I became more sure of myself. I became more sure of, uh, the situation. Like once I, once I got through the first like 10 or 15 rides, like it wasn't a big deal anymore. I was used to it. I like knew what it felt like to have a stranger get into the backseat of my car. Um, and I started figuring out the social cues about whether someone wanted to talk or not. And here's my ultimate social cue test, if you're interested, if you don't know social cues, is three questions. If you ask someone three questions, you get a one-word answer for every one of those questions. They don't want to talk to you. Um, and I don't push it. But also, like, it's a vibe, right? Like, you're kind of just picking up. Uh, if someone's, like, face is in their phone and they're not looking up, like, they're not really interested in engaging. Um, but they can be, potentially. I think... A lot of times the phone face thing that people are doing these days is an addiction. I don't think it's necessarily like what they want um, in, the, in, in their like soul level. Because I think humans, we're a social species. We really do want to make human connections. And the connection you can make in person, one-on-one, -on -one, is very different than the connection you're making through a screen and text messaging and all of that. I'm also a big proponent of get on the phone. If, if, if you have something to say that is like neutral or negative, you have to say it on the phone. Don't do it over an email because it tone is so important. And really the substance of what you say is only about 6% of what people absorb. The rest of it is all like body language and uh, your tone of voice. So just FYI, if you want to be uh, a great communicator, 
um, just pick up the phone. I also, I like it better as like a human connection. Okay. So some of the best stories I have, um, I just wanted to commemorate these so that, um, I can have them forever and not forget about them. Um, so I picked up a lot of industry people. LA is definitely an industry town, uh, meaning like the movie television industry. Uh, there are about 1 trillion animators <laughs> in that town. I picked up a lot of people who are in animation or aspiring to animation. And what was really fun too, was like having had a bunch of conversations with people. Like when I picked up uh, a girl who was like, going to school, like trying to get degrees for animation and had just talked to a couple of animators um, in the previous days um, who like didn't go to school or didn't go to school for that. Um, I was able to kind of like give her a pep talk about like, you know, you don't, you can be successful without going to school for this stuff. And here's like some stories I heard from other people. So just like getting to share with people about that, that was really fun. Um, my favorite animator that I picked up is working on the movie Trolls 2. Um, and I hope that you're hearing this in time for this to be a spoiler, but I have some info on, um, basically in this new trolls movie, the trolls reproduce, uh, in their hair, like basically like they open up their hair and the baby pops out, uh, which I think is, I mean, let's be honest. The most iconic thing about a troll doll is that floofy hair. And so the fact that they reproduce from it is kind of amazing. But the best part is that the reproduction is for any gender. And there is a boy who reproduces in his hair um, during the movie. And they had to tweak some stuff after they uh, put it through some test audiences. And I forget like what exactly there was about it. But um, the guy that was telling me this, the animator that works on it, he shall remain nameless. I don't even remember his name. I just remember the intel. But basically he was like, yeah, like there were some moms in these test groups that were really like threatened by the fact that men could reproduce. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting how much like people's egos are tied up in like these like gendered biological characteristics of themselves. Um, but anyway, I was very excited to get like early information about that movie. And I also, I can't wait for it. Trolls one. If you haven't seen it, First and foremost, any of my friends out there who have kids who saw the Trolls movie early on, saw a movie about positivity and optimism and did not text me to tell me, oh my God, Bevan, you have to go see Trolls. Like I just had to stumble upon it myself and just take a chance and watch the Trolls movie. And it is just like my life philosophy, which is like, try to be glass half full, like try to enjoy life no matter what, try to like have a happy disposition about things, dance and hug. Um, I can't wait to have kids so that I can do hug a clock just like they do on the trolls. Um, I think hugging is super great for you. Um, and I just love creating hugs as part of family culture. So anyway, um, I love trolls. I'm glad that it exists. And I'm glad that I got this intel from one of the um, animators. So uh, speaking of... Uh, giving people college advice. So I talked to a lot of college students, um, law students and um, potential grad students um, in my car. Because if I found out like someone was in school, I'd be like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I used to be a lawyer um, and like tell them, you know, a little bit of my experience if they were interested in law school. Um, I this is the advice that I gave this one guy who told me I was, quote, the best rideshare driver he had ever had, um, simply because like we had a solid like half hour um, to chat in our ride. And I just like, really, I think I was like back in academic advising mode. Um, but he was thinking about law school, thinking about business school. And I was like, listen, here's what I wish I had known. Um, or I wish I had researched and then thus decided when I was going, thinking about going to law school, 
Um, and just uh, for a little back information, I went straight from undergrad to law school, like um, no stopping, just kept going. Um, really regret that decision. Um, I mean, obviously I don't regret it in like a holistic point because I think wherever I am is where I'm meant to be and yada, 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 right? But honestly, like what I should have done is researched a master's in public policy or a master's in public administration. Either of those degrees is much less expensive than a law degree and much more <laughs> marketable on the job market, it turns out. Friends of mine who got those degrees um, were in like, two thirds less debt after school than I was as a lawyer um, and making double or triple what I was making as a lawyer. And I will just tell you having a JD is actually a liability <laughs> to getting jobs like out on the market. Um, the admissions director at my law school, I remember very clearly during orientation, her telling us that our, our degrees would be so marketable, we could get any job we wanted. And it was a complete lie. And I know she said it and she believed it to be true, but it was a lie because that's not actually how it shakes out. Um, there's a whole factories, a whole industry basically built around people going to law school. And, you know, I went to law school because people told me I should be a lawyer, not because I researched it, not because I thought it was the right life path. I just really thought, oh, I'm really interested in policy and law and all of this stuff. So I should go to law school. And, you know, of course, I'll be able to do the area of law that I want. But the real trick is that in law school, they teach you to be a judge, not a lawyer. Um, so you actually go to school and don't actually learn the skills you need to practice. You have to get hired by a firm who's going to pay you a salary to teach you how to do the things you do. And I've had friends who work for big law firms that make like over $100,000 a year who have said, quote, a reasonably responsible high school student could do my job because a lot of those jobs is just like filling out papers and just being the Esquire who signs it. Um, and then someone else said a monkey chained to a typewriter could do my job. Um, and for a lot of the time when I was a practicing real estate attorney, I felt like my job was um, sitting in traffic and writing checks. So uh, just like to, def I just love to tell people the real, when they want to hear it, I mean, I don't, I don't burst anyone's bubble, but I'll tell you, like, whenever I pick up a law student in my lift and you tell them that uh, you're a former lawyer as their driver, it freaks them out. Um, so, because being in law school freaks you out. It's like a whole mind torture thing. Um, anyway, so the guy that I gave this download to this guy who's about to graduate from Georgetown, thinking about moving to LA. Um, oh, he was also, another good question he asked me was like, where should I live in town if I think I'm going to end up working downtown because those are the types of, I don't know what kind of firms he was going into, maybe insurance, maybe marketing. I don't know, whatever. But yeah, a lot of those firms are downtown. I was like, he's like, can I, should I live in West Hollywood? Um, does that make sense for working downtown? And I said, absolutely not. Even on a good day, like it takes a solid 40 minutes to drive to West Hollywood. West Hollywood isn't really by any freeways that get you anywhere. Um, it's just by gridlock most of the day. Uh, so if you're interested in living in West Hollywood because you like the nightlife, my suggestion is live really close to where you work and then um, just plan to take ride shares or um, drive or whatever, uh, where, wherever you're going, rather than like committing yourself to a commute because commutes suck in L.A. I mean, I think that goes without saying, like in a trafficy, any in any trafficy city, commutes are awful. Um, shout out to any of my commuting babes who are commuting uh, while listening to my podcast. Uh, anyway, but 
that's also the advice. If you're planning to move to LA, really, really quality of life stuff is to live near where you work. So that's the advice I gave that guy. He also gave me a great tip. So shout out to that guy. And um, okay, so ooh, another good ride that I had was um, I would play Dolly Parton not infrequently in my lift. Um, I tried to make playlists that were um, fan favorites. I don't know, pleasing to people. Like I had a few driving playlists that were really good for like specific times of day that had a lot of genres on them. Cause I love a lot of genres of music. Um, if you can't tell from this podcast, but I, um, specifically had some for driving, but, um, in addition to that, like Sundays were like pretty much going to be Dolly Parton for a full block of time. Um, I talked to a few people actually during that, that Dolly block, uh, on Sundays who like didn't know that much about Dolly Parton. And then I got to tell them lots of fun stuff about her that I love. Um, and then, but then there was like a random Dolly song in the middle of a mix playlist. And this guy was like, Oh, blah, 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 something about Dolly. And I was like, Oh, you like Dolly Parton? And he was like, yeah. And I had picked him up near UCLA. So I thought he was a student at UCLA. And, um, and he was like, Oh yeah. Like I even used to watch her TV show when it was on and her TV show (laughs) was on in the late seventies. So I, I wasn't even alive yet. And, I was like, oh my God, you watched her TV show? How old are you? And this guy looked like he was in college and he was like 45. Uh, And I was just like, oh my God, what is it like? So then we like talked about Dolly Parton, but then before he got out of my car, I was like, could you please just tell me your secrets of looking young? And he was like, okay, here's everything. Number one, I never go in the sun. I wear deep sun protection. So that was like very important. He drinks like, uh, he didn't say a gallon. He said a specific amount of mineral water every day. So specifically he said mineral water. He eats mostly plant-based, um, and no processed food. And, um, he does, um, micro needling, I think is what he said. So just like, I'm going to pass all that information onto you. Um, and also moisturizes. So some classic things we know about, but also, you know, stay hydrated. Um, and treat your body well and you'll stay looking young. But this guy like looked solidly 25 years younger than he was. So there's, you know, he also had longer hair. I think long hair is kind of a youthful aesthetic. Um, so I thought that was like some wildly great information from a Dolly fan. Uh, this other woman taught me how to pick up a sugar daddy in Vegas. Now, mind you, this woman, um, has had some plastic surgery. She's young. She was like in her mid twenties. Um, she told me she like, she basically lives off her parents, uh, who are wealthy and is clearly looking to marry wealthy. So, uh, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but she was, I was driving her to the airport to go meet up with a man that she had just met in Vegas the weekend before. Um, and she was going to meet, she was flying to Tahoe to meet up with him. And the way she picked up this guy was, uh, first of all, she goes to the win, uh, which is a, a hotel casino in Vegas. So that's the one where the cute rich guys uh, are. So if you want cute rich guys, that's where you go. And the way she picks up men is she'll walk up to them and just grab them, like put her arm through their elbow and say, Hey, sugar, what are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. I haven't seen Like just making it seem like she already knew them and like speaking to them in a familiar way, even though she knows she doesn't know them. Um, I have actually done something similar to people 
um, that I wanted to just meet where I go up to them and I'm like, do I know you from somewhere? Like, or do I know you from blah, blah, blah? Like just to, I mean, I think I, I do it a little on, more honestly than her. Cause she's like going up and just acting as though she knows them and very familiar. Um, but that's how she picks up guys. So if that helps you, she was also potentially going to go to Paris with this guy after Tahoe. She was packed for, she had quite a suitcase and she was packed for quite an adventure. So, um, I <laughs> filed that information away because I was like, I got to tell people about how this woman brilliantly picks up men in Vegas. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was, I thought it was worth sharing. Um, the, my favorite couple that ever got into my lift, I had such a fun party with them. It was, um, I picked them up in West Hollywood from the Abbey and they were a straight couple, even though the Abbey is a gay joint. Um, and they came in, they had Louis Vuitton bags and like a bag from somewhere else, uh, Richie Rich. Um, and it was this cute, like, uh, bodacious blonde. Um, and then this guy that looked a little bit like not as attractive Chuck Bass from Gossip Girl. And I only say that because I think Chuck Bass is like, a total dream. So like a dream, but like not a dream from TV. Um, and so this pair and they were really drunk and it was like 6 PM, 7 PM. It was was early for, for as drunk as they were, but they were on vacation, uh, from England and we just had the best time. We just, they were chatty, uh, jovial. They had song requests. So I was like playing the music they wanted. Um, they, I, I found this like really fun song about Glendale, (laughs) that this woman played when I, cause she asked me where I lived and I was like, Oh, Eagle Rock. It's between Glendale and Pasadena. Um, and, or maybe it was the song was called Pasadena, Uh, whatever. Anyway, it was jaunty and fun and we couldn't find it on Spotify and we found it on YouTube and it was the most ridiculous thing ever. Um, and just had the best time with them. Like, and I think, you know, honestly, I think they, they told me their Lyft driver the night before had been really rude to them and I can understand why they're drunk high energy might've been annoying to a driver, but to me it was like a total vibe and we just had so much fun together. Um, and what I find to be a good idea when you're a rideshare driver or just like a person trying to interact with people is to be on, uh, the vibe of the person that's in. So like try, if someone's high vibe, come in with your high vibe. Like it, it also inspires me to like be more high vibe when people are like chipper and fun. Um, and I had a good time with this couple and like, uh, they actually wanted me to stay um, outside their house and wait for them as they changed so they could go back out. But I was meeting my friend for dinner at my house and I was really looking forward to not <laughs> having to do any more driving that night. So I declined, but um, it was really uh, a fun, fun ride. Um, one of the kind of worst drunk experiences I had was picking up this foursome. Uh, it was two couples from uh, the laugh factory. And that's a comedy club in LA and they were super drunk. Everybody was drunk, but the guy that was up in the front seat next to me was especially drunk and especially obnoxious and just kept asking, um, me really inappropriate questions. And like his friends, like weren't, weren't finagling him or not corralling him enough. And he kept saying, it's not gay. If you don't look them in the eye, and like making comments about like watching other men go to the bathroom and like all this kind of like weird gay, like weird stuff where like straight people try to, here's the thing. Everybody's a little bit gay. Like, um, and like, it's so natural 
for people to be on a scale of sexuality. Like I am a very open-minded person and also being a queer woman in the world, like people out themselves to me all the time. Like, especially when I hang out in straight uh, environments, if people find out that I'm queer, then they out themselves to me as like, oh yeah, I'm queer. Oh, I used to have a girlfriend or oh, whatever. Right. So like, I just feel like more and more people are on the Kinsey scale than our very binary society that is like a heteronormative uh, sort of hetero privilege sort of place wants us to believe. And so this guy like constantly talking about like gay sex, like when he was this drunk um, to me sounds like someone who has a lot of repression and a lot of self-acceptance he needs to do <laughs> just to be just to be kind about it. Um, but it was really uncomfortable for me. And then he kept asking me if I had a boyfriend and I was like, no, I actually just went through a really painful breakup. Um, and that's one of the best with, Oh, and I think I said with my ex fiance and I sheed her. So that's like a good way to come out and tell people to, and it makes people feel really uncomfortable when you talk about your painful breakup. Um, and usually they don't want to keep talking about it and they'll leave you alone. So if you want to get a man to stop, um, being obnoxious towards you, uh, talk about a painful breakup and maybe sound like you might cry. Um, that might help. I don't know. So that was awful. Um, his friends apologized for him as they were getting out of the car, but they didn't tip me. And I just have to say, if you have to apologize for your friend, first and foremost, why are you hanging out with them? Second of all, tip your driver, tip your driver, no matter what, but definitely tip your driver a lot extra if they have to deal with your obnoxious drunk friend. Um, and, um, also like another thing to point out too, is that rideshare drivers are not supposed to drive your pets around. Like, um, I got charged, uh, extra if I had pet hair on any of my seats or had to have, like, if I would have to do extra to remove pet hair, if people brought in pets and like I rolled up, so I would let people, have their pet in the car if they agreed to hold the pet and not let it be on any of the seats. Cause I was like, I can't like deal with removing your pet hair. Um, but then I rolled up on one guy one time and he had like a really big dog and then was offended and mad that I didn't want to take him and his dog. I was like, this is, we're not, he's like, well, other drivers do it. And I was like, well, great. I'm glad that they're willing to shoulder the expense of cleaning out a car um, to the extent that they would need to from your, you know, it was like a sheddy dog too. I don't know. Like, um, but I felt good about the decision I made. Um, sad that I put him in a bind, but like just be forewarned pet owners. If you're trying to like zip around town in a rideshare, uh, with a dog, like be warned that your rideshare drivers don't need to take them. I used to, when I would take my dog in rideshares, when I had a little Shih Tzu, Macy, rest in power, uh, she was always in her backpack. So she wasn't like out in the car. Anyway, so that's like a, a tip too. like keep your dog in a bag. Anyway, so those are my fun tales of Lyft driving. Um, there were quite a few other really good conversations I had with people, like really good human connections, like um, just kind of things that I felt moved to talk about with people, things that they brought up um, and just really appreciating the like human nature of that job and how I was able to uh, make all of those connections and um, have the unique experience that I got to have as a rideshare driver. I feel like I'm completely retired from Lyft driving now. Like my, my leg still hurts and my foot still hurts, uh, from doing all that stopping and starting. Um, and it's been like, I think 
two months now since I was last lift driving and it still hurts. So um, I'm looking forward to when that uh, injury has been resolved. I'm doing some yoga here up in the woods uh, and hoping to kind of ease that out and shift my body back into aerobics teacher lifestyles. Um, So also one thing that I always like to mention in every episode is if you want to support this podcast and support me as a creator in the world, you can join my Patreon, which is uh, Patreon is a website that is a hybrid of crowdfunding and a membership site. So it enables creators like me to create benefits for folks like you who might want to subscribe to us and become a member. And some people do Patreon just because they like somebody and they they don't want prizes. And some people do it because there's something of value. And so it's just, um, it was a, a platform that was created by people who had a YouTube channel. They were musicians um, and they saw a need for a way uh, that folks who were fans could help contribute to the art that they loved to consume. Uh, I have a lot of uh, fun benefits. The one I'm most excited about is my weekly aerobics class. So this was kind of the best platform for me to deliver that kind of content because people were saying, oh, I want to do Fat Kid Dance Party Aerobics. Um, And I figured out how to do it through Patreon. So for 25 bucks a month, you uh, get access to uh, one new class a week. And there's always four classes available at different times. There's a 10 minute, a 20 minute, 45 minute and a 60 minute class. And often the 60 minute classes are recorded live um, from classes that I teach out in the world. Uh, I also, you can sponsor me at the $2 a month level, the $5 a month level. Um, every dollar counts to help make my work sustainable. And um, I really just love, I love doing this podcast. It's totally a calling on my life to share the information I have with folks. Um, and I just really appreciate you tuning in. Even if you can't support at all, just like a high five, um, a rating on whatever your favorite podcast app is, um, or whatever you can do to just like, uh, high five me back, like whatever, it's fine. Um, But I really appreciate every single one of you who has uh, contributed to my longevity and just really appreciate all of you so much for tuning in and for being part of this movement to help make the world safe for people to love themselves. I hope wherever you are, you know that you are worthy of love exactly as you are. You are fantastic. You are magical. You have a purpose on your life. Whatever you're meant to do in this world, you are meant to be here for a reason, to uh, save the environment, to raise badass kids, to just like heal and ground and just be a blessing to the people in your life. Whatever it is, you're here for a reason and on purpose. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in.